we're good to go. You guys got your Bibles with you tonight? Yeah, your Bibles? Awesome. Turn with me to John 17. Uh, I was not, it was not the plan for me to teach tonight. Um, but I'm teaching tonight. Uh, and I am, uh, I am putting together, uh, tonight is going to be the first of a three-week uh, mini-series in our series through the book of John. Uh, we're going to be, last week we conquered chapter 15 and 16 in one week. Uh, this week... We are going to embark on chapter 17, but we will not finish chapter 17 until your calendars say it is September. We are going to be in uh, John 17 for three weeks um, in this one chapter, uh, but one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. Uh, I can say that with full confidence because it is. Uh, if you're taking notes, which I would encourage you to do, uh, not because i am got anything good to say, uh, but because God's Word has good things to say. And uh, it's easier to remember things when you write them down uh, or underline them in your Bible. Take notes in your Bible. It's okay to write in, uh, it's okay to write in your Bible. I, uh, I met someone years ago uh, who, who saw that I had pen in my Bible, uh, and they told me I was sinning because I was marking up uh, God's Word. And I said, well, then I'm the biggest sinner there is because my Bible's a coloring book. Um, but no, it's totally okay to write in your Bible, and I encourage it. It helps you remember things. Uh, however you take notes, whether it's on a phone, whether it's on a piece of paper or a pen, uh, no one takes notes on their pen. That's weird. Uh, take <laughs> notes with your pen. Uh, unless you have really small handwriting and you like to write on pens, that's cool. Like, nothing against you or anything. But uh, I encourage you to take notes. And uh, if, if we're taking notes, the title of this three-week sermon uh, it's not a series. It's going to be a three-week sermon. This is going to be part one, part two, and part three. Uh, but the title is The True, in quotes, uh, The True Lord's Prayer, with the subtitle, A Real Look at What Our Lord Prays. Okay? So the real Lord's Prayer, a look at what our Lord really prays. Uh, there's many misconceptions about the Bible uh, by people in the world, things that the Bible says, things that people think the Bible teaches. Uh, I've heard one that I'm sure many of you have heard. Maybe you've used, maybe you've said, maybe you've believed, someone's told you. But how many of you have ever heard uh, the verse, God helps those who help themselves? Anyone ever heard that before? Uh, okay, three of four uh, Americans believe uh, that this is uh, a Bible verse. Uh, 50% of Bible reading evangelicals believe that this is a verse, but God helps those who help themselves is the exact opposite of the gospel. That's not in scripture anywhere. You will not find that. God helps those uh, who cannot help themselves, uh, which is everyone, hence Jesus came uh, to die for us. Another one that many of you have probably heard, many of you have maybe used, maybe you've even heard taught before, but is that God will not give you more than you can handle. Uh, that's a big lie. Uh, God will give you more than you can handle, and he actually promises that he will, which is really, really cool. But we so often in church like to comfort one another, and we mean well. I mean, we mean well. When someone's going through a hard time, it's like, hey, it's going to be okay, man. God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not true. Uh, God does give us more than we can handle. James tells us that we are to count it all joy when we are given more than we can handle. Uh, Paul tells the church of Thessalonica, you are going to be given more than you can handle. Rely on me. He tells the church in Rome, rejoice 
in your tribulations, because tribulations produce perseverance, perseverance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. God most definitely gives us more than we can handle so that we can rely on him. Look at the children of Israel and Gideon. He had this massive army, and God said, no, it's too big. You can do it on your own. Break it down, break it down, break it down to where you cannot do it unless I'm here to help you. And that's how God is because he reveals his glory and our weakness. He is strong. And so uh, God does give us more than we can handle. There's a verse that sounds kind of like that in Scripture, but it's only referring to temptation. God says he will not tempt us more than we can bear. And he always provides a way of escape. But that's a different sermon for a different story. Uh, Not everything uh, you hear uh, is um, biblically accurate or... uh, uh, true or found in the Bible when someone is trying to give us uh, good Bible advice. If I were to ask you or go around the room or go on the side of the street like Jimmy Kimmel would or something with a, with a microphone and ask people questions, um, and I were to ask the question, what are the three most popular Bible verses or the three most well-known Bible verses? Probably number one would be John 3.16, right? Okay, then probably Psalm 23. Uh, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take that. No, uh, um, yeah, Coolio. Okay, no, uh, um, but Psalm 23, right? Uh, and then probably the third or in that top three uh, most well-known Bible verses is probably the Lord's Prayer, right? That portion in Scripture where Jesus says, uh, when you pray, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I mean, it's in so many different movies, uh, one of my favorite scenes of, of this, you guys are going to laugh at me, uh, but I grew up in the early 2000s, just like all of you did. Uh, how many of you guys remember the very first uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie? Okay. And so there's this scene, there's this scene when Harry Osborne, Norman Osborne finds out that Aunt May is Peter Parker's grandma, and he knows that Peter Parker's Spider-Man, and so Green Goblin shows up on his hoverboard and is like, ah, I like the grandma, and she's like, curling up in a ball like, oh, Father, we Yeah, you guys know it? Like, okay. Uh, it's like all the time. People quote it all the time. But here's the thing. These are the most widely known verses, most likely. And the title of the Lord's Prayer is extremely, extremely misleading. Because this is actually just a name we've given it. Jesus never said this is the Lord's Prayer. In all reality, Jesus couldn't even pray this prayer. Because it talks about, forgive me of my trespasses and my sins. Jesus couldn't pray that because he never sinned and whatnot. So really what this should be called uh, is the disciples' prayer. But here in John 17, if you have your Bibles open to John 17, all 26 verses of John 17 is a prayer that Jesus prays. So this is truly going to be the Lord's prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ praying this prayer. This is the longest prayer that is recorded of Jesus in the New Testament. It is also the longest prayer that is recorded in all of Scripture. Not time frame, but longest recorded written out prayer in all of Scripture. And uh, if we were to take um, uh, uh, just a cursory look at this, we're going to see an up-close and personal look at Jesus' heart, uh, not only for himself, but for his disciples uh, and for his church. Scholars and, uh, and theologians throughout the years have called John 17 the Mount Everest of Scripture. Uh, and, and it's really a peek into what uh, uh, the very thoughts of heaven are and what Jesus' thoughts and prayers are. One pastor said it this way, and I quote, I am in awe at the holiness of this prayer, and I realize how inadequate I am to preach on it. Um, which is very true when it comes to teaching on the things Jesus prayed. Uh, it's, it's so impressive. 
And so when we approach John 17, the reason why we're going to take three weeks to do this is because this is not a portion of Scripture that we want to just go over quick or try and make three, four points about it and then move on to the next thing. This is a portion of Scripture that we should approach with humility, with worship, and a little bit of time uh, just to study uh, what God has to say uh, as he himself, uh, the God-man Jesus, is praying. So let's read uh, a little bit, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive in uh, to what God has to say to us tonight. This is what it says, picking up in verse 1 of John chapter 17. Jesus spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth, and I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself within the glory which I had with you before the world was. Dear God, we just pray that in these next few moments, as we look at your perfect word, the perfect law of liberty, God, I just pray that each and every single one of us would be transformed uh, but God, by the words that, that, that you prayed, uh, God, that each and every single one of us, our hearts would be transformed from the inside out. God, that we would not leave this place the same as when we walked in, but God, uh, we would be changed and transformed by the power of your word. God, may we be people who, when we open up the pages of Scripture, uh, our lives are changed. That we would not just read this as a narrative, that we would not just read this as another book. But God, you by your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, open our ears, incline our heart to see what your word has to say. And God, that as we continue to grow closer to you, God, your word promises that you will grow closer to us. And so God, we thank you, uh, God, for, for the reciprocating relationship we have with you. Uh, God, and thank you that you first loved us. We did not love you, but God, we love you because you first loved us. So God, we thank you, uh, and we just pray that in these next few moments as we look at your word, God, that we would be changed from the inside out. So God, we thank you, and we praise you, and in your sins, and we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, this portion of scripture is not uh, a freestanding just prayer, a freestanding narrative in the gospel. We see the gospel pick up in different parts, like three months later something takes place. But this is not freestanding by any uh by any sense of the term, this is a prayer that comes at the very end of Jesus' longest recorded discourse with his disciples. He's been ministering to his disciples in the upper room, and this prayer is what's going to close uh, this all together. Uh, the disciples are getting everything they can out of this because Jesus just told them, I'm leaving you. And so now they are like sitting in ears like glued to Jesus, just hearing and soaking up everything they could. Uh, we know that uh, chapters 15 through 17 uh, take place, what Jesus is saying, take place on the 20-minute walk from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane as they're leaving Jerusalem, uh, go, going into the Kidron Valley to the, uh, the, the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus often went to pray. And we know that these three chapters took place in this 20-minute walk. And so if you were to read through this prayer, it's a prayer that takes about three minutes or so. Um, but Jesus is praying, uh, and there's some really important things. So if you're taking notes uh, tonight, the first point is the significance of this prayer, the significance of Jesus's prayer. Uh, and, then, and, and there's two really significant points I really would like to point out tonight about Jesus's prayer. And the first of these two significant points is this, uh, Jesus prayed. That's very significant that Jesus prayed because here's the thing, uh, it almost seems unnecessary um, because he's God. 
Jesus is fully God. Uh, Philippians tells us that Jesus did lay aside some of his uh, heavenly uh, prerogative uh, and some of the heavenly things, but he keeps his divinity. He is the God-man. He is fully God, fully man. Uh, And Jesus does something when he prays, because here's the thing. Jesus, he kept his divinity, so he and God the Father, they know the same things at the exact same time because it's God. And, and, And it's not like Jesus needed to pray. But the reason why Jesus prays is to set an example for us, uh, for, for us as followers of Christ, the importance of prayer and, and, and our need to be people who do pray. Jesus, he gives us so many different examples in the Gospels. One, uh, Mark, uh, Mark tells us that early in the morning, before the first light, Jesus was praying. That's pretty cool. Luke tells us that at night, Jesus went to go pray, and then he prayed all night. Awesome. Luke also tells us that Jesus often withdrew from the group to go pray, and he prayed often. Nineteen times in the gospel do we see occasions where Jesus is praying. But Jesus is setting the example for us that we are to be people of prayer. And this is the cool thing. Jesus, uh, it's awesome that he prayed, but he did this more for us. John 11, verse 41, uh, Jesus is there at the tomb of Lazarus, and Lazarus has been dead now for four days, and Jesus says, roll away the stone, and they're like, no, hold on, he's been dead. He probably stinks. And Jesus then prays, and he prays, and in his prayer he says, I do this, I come to you, Father, for them, because of them. And, and, and he's truly setting an example of what it is to pray. Uh, Jesus not only paid the price with pain, but Jesus prescribed a pattern for prayer. Uh, God's uh, purpose and Jesus' purpose here on earth was, one, to pay the price with pain, dying on the cross for us, but it was also to prescribe a pattern for prayer. Jesus was going to set an example, set a repetition, put a rhythm for our lives, and prescribe this pattern of prayer for us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4.15 tells us that Jesus went and did and went through everything that we have gone through. We do not... Uh, serve a God who cannot sympathize with us. Jesus has gone through the same things we have, uh, went through the same hurts, the same pains, but he did it without sin, and he sets this example for us. And everything Jesus did in his life was to set an example for you and I. That's why just a few verses ago in John, we were told that there's no greater love than this than to lay down a life for a friend. Jesus sets the example all the way through his death and resurrection. And so this is important, uh, the strengthening power that prayer has uh, can be found in Luke 18. And if you want to flip to Luke 18 uh, on your own time, please feel free to do so. But Jesus prays uh, and instructs that we are to pray when we feel like fainting. We are to pray. like and, and, and when life gets rough, when we feel like we're getting tossed around, getting beat up, we are to be people who pray. How many of you guys have ever fainted before? Anyone ever faint before? Uh, I have never fainted, but I have blacked out. There was this one time I was having a pillow fight. Uh, I kid you not, I was having a pillow fight. And when you are a 16-year-old young man, uh, you have pillow fights. And these are like good pillow fights. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know how girl pillow fights work, but I know how guy pillow fights work. Do, do you guys, do girls like stuff the pillow down in the bottom of the pillowcase, tie it off in the knots, use it as like a war hammer? Yeah. No, yeah, we do. And it's intense. And we are having the most intense pillow fight of all time. And I leave because I have to go to the bathroom. And so I leave the room. And as I walk back in the room, you think it's a ceasefire when someone has to go to the bathroom. I walk back into the room. And the way the door worked, it was like a hallway just like this. 
And I come through the hallway, and my buddy, my cousin Tori, he was standing right there at the door with this pillow, Warhammer style, just wham, and it caught me right in the face, right here. And like a plank, I just boom, and I blacked out. I was down for what felt like minutes. I was told I was only out for seven seconds, but it was intense. It hurt, and fainting's no good. Um, that actually really doesn't have much to do with the sermon, but... I could have prayed and I maybe wouldn't have fainted. No. Uh, the way I really see it, uh, I coached football and I played a lot of football. And uh, At Clackamas High School, we went to this place called Camp Howard. Uh, Camp Howard was great. Uh, it was a fun uh, event. We played a lot of football. Uh, we were in a lot of sun. My senior year uh, practice at Camp Howard was 104 degrees. And it was super, super, super hot. And this was back before everyone wanted to talk about water and how much you need water. People just let you go. And we burned ourselves out. People were passing out left and right. And the trick was, I learned this my junior year in high school. Everyone laughed at you if you told people about it. Because everyone's like, oh, yeah, Gatorade and Powerade. No, those aren't the ones. You want to bring Pedialyte. You pick it up in the baby section at Fred Meyer, but you bring Pedialyte. You don't mix it with water. You just chug it straight. Whenever you feel like you're going to pass out, you chug Pedialyte. The electrolytes hit your system, and you're good to go. And that's what prayer is supposed to be like for us. When we're going to faint, we pray. We come to the Lord in prayer, and it builds us up, and it gives us strength. Prayer is not Pedialyte. It's just an example. But here's the thing. Jesus tells us when we're getting ready to faint, we're to pray. Jesus is, in a spiritual sense, uh, the new high priest. Uh, the high priest was someone uh, who, who many of you know prayed on behalf of the people. Uh, and, and, and the children of Israel, once a year, they would have this high priest who would go and would pray for the sins of not only their families, but the sins of all the families of the tribes of Israel. Uh, and, and they had to go through this high priest to talk to God. It wasn't like you and I where we can just start praying and we're talking to God uh, in this one-on-one relationship. They had to go through a high priest. But Hebrews tells us that Jesus uh, is our spiritual high priest, not only our spiritual high priest, but our eternal high priest who is ever interceding for us, and he is how we can approach the Father on an everyday basis. So, when we talk about the significance of Jesus praying, and the fact that Jesus prayed and did this for an example for us, that's pretty important. The second thing I want us to to realize here uh, in this first point is how Jesus prayed. How did Jesus pray? Because we're, we're asked in church many times how are we supposed to pray. If you went to Sunday school or grew up in Sunday school, you knew you were to fold your hands, and you were to close your eyes, and you weren't to look around or else you're going to get in trouble, and you don't get your gold star at the end of class. Which, here's, here's the thing I never understood. I mean, I was a pretty uh, perceptive kid, and here's the thing. They say, they say uh, close your eyes and bow your head, and if you don't, we're going to take away your gold star. How did the teacher know my eyes were not closed if her <laughs> eyes weren't closed? A bunch of hypocrite Sunday school teachers. It's crazy. And so here's the thing. Uh, how did Jesus pray? It says here in verse 1 that Jesus spoke these words and lifted his eyes up to heaven. So what's the proper posture for prayer? Uh, is it to get down on your knees? Is it to go into a closet? Is it to stand up? Is it to have your eyes open, your hands raised? Is it hands folded, hands like this? Some people like this. Some people behind, like, what is the right way to pray? And here's the reality for this. Every single one of those is right, okay? Uh, There's different times where maybe you should do one or the other. If you're someone who gets distracted a lot, uh, maybe close your eyes. That that could be very helpful. Uh, Maybe if you're someone who uh, you're just like, you're in your room by yourself and you are just like at a very vulnerable moment with the Lord, feel free to drop to your knees. Maybe feel free to just fall prostrate on the floor, 
face down crying out like they did in the Old Testament. Maybe you're all alone. I don't encourage you to do this in public. But we're told that some of the prophets laid naked and prayed naked for three days straight. Uh, if you're comfortable, do it. Okay? Here's the thing. Don't do it in public. Don't get any ideas. You might get a ticket. It could be bad. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, Jesus, Jesus tends to break the stereotypical norms when it comes to spiritual things. Uh, one of the big ones is you hear all the time, you've got to pray with your eyes closed, you've got to pray with your eyes closed. Here's Jesus praying with his eyes open, looking up to heaven. It's okay if you pray with your eyes open. There's not a formula or a right way or a right posture to pray, just that we pray. And here's the thing. Uh, Jesus praying gives us the example. Uh, and, and the disciples, the disciples, they marveled at how Jesus prayed. They'd seen the Pharisees, they'd seen the Sadducees, they'd seen the religious leaders, and just how a typical Jew would pray. But the reason why they asked Jesus there in Matthew, teach us how to pray, Lord, was because they were marveled at what Jesus did when he prayed. And they weren't saying, we don't know how to pray. They were saying, Jesus, teach us how you pray. What do you do when you pray? And so Jesus gives them this prescription uh, of, of, of how to pray. And Jesus prays different uh, than we do. Uh, and it's really cool that in John 17, we get this, this look and this glimpse at Jesus praying. But here's the thing that Jesus does, and I love this as he does this throughout the Gospels, and I think he wants to do this to us in our everyday lives as well. When we ask Jesus to help us with something, he doesn't just help us with that one thing. You see the disciples ask Jesus, how do we pray? And Jesus then goes on and he breaks down how to pray, how to fast, how to give, how to live our lives in a relationship with the Father rather than just prayer. So, so often we come to the Lord with one single thing and we're like, God, I just need help with this. I don't need help with anything else. I need help with this one thing. And what Jesus tends to do and what the Lord does and the Holy Spirit leads us now in our lives is he, he, he changes things up. He's like, yeah, I'm going to give you the answer for the one thing you've prayed, but now I'm going to give you all the backstory and all the things you need to work on so you can get to that point. And then once you're at that point, how you can get to the next level with the Lord. So Jesus wants to continue to give us more and more because Jesus is not just about prayer and, and that communication. Jesus is all about the relationship. If we were to just talk with people but never get to know them, if we were to just talk to someone but never spend time with them, if we were to just talk to someone but never hang out, go find out what they like to do, then find out what you like to do, then it wouldn't be a relationship. It would just be a conversation. And God wants so much more than just a conversation with you. God wants to have a relationship with you. Uh, and God wants us to have a radical life of worship. And here's the thing that Jesus put with all of this. He wants us to have this radical life of worship, but not a radical life of worship to be seen by others. When he says pray, he says don't be like those who are uh, Pharisees, who are hypocrites, who pray and get everyone to look at themselves. Don't be the person who starts flopping on the ground like a fish during worship because it draws attention to you. He wants all attention to be given to him, glory to be given to him. When it comes to fasting, he says, don't be like the Pharisees who make their faces look tired and anguished so everyone knows they're good spiritual fasters. When it comes to giving, don't present your gift in this big parade. Like, how many of you guys seen Aladdin before? Anyone seen Aladdin? Uh, what's the song? Prince uh, Ali. Yeah, Prince Ali, Ali, He comes in on the. Don't they like transform the monkey into the elephant, right? Yeah. Okay. That's not. That's what the Pharisees did. They were transforming their monkeys into elephants as they were coming into the temple with these beautiful gifts, and they're like, "Here you go. Look at us. I'm the next." king of whatsoever. But no, Jesus says, don't do that. Be like this widow who just gave everything she had 
and it was so meek and so humble, and no one's looking at her as if she's this grandiose person. God doesn't look to see who is the most spiritual on the outside. You've heard it said over and over and over again. God does not look at the outside. Man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. And the colloquialism to go with it here in the English is, don't judge a book by its cover, right? God looks at the inside, not the outside. And so our prayer, our relationship, our radical life of worship should be something that is from the inside out, not that we just have on the outside so people can see. Does that make sense? Awesome, awesome, awesome. So our second point, if the first point we had was the significance of this prayer, the second point is going to be the scope of this prayer. Uh, John 17 does a very good job of summing up all 21 chapters of the book of John. Uh, Everything that we see Jesus pray in John 17 are the very things that Jesus enumerated to his disciples, to his followers, to those who are in his inner circle throughout the entire book. Uh, We're going to see some words used in John 17 quite a bit. One word that we're going to see used a lot is the word world. We're going to see that used 19 times as Jesus is praying for the world and praying for those uh, of us who are followers of Christ. We're going to see him talk about giving. He talks about giving in this prayer 17 times. We're going to see Jesus talk about glory and glorification eight times in this prayer. He talks about his word a whole bunch as well. The reason why we're going to be in this three weeks is not just because uh, we want to approach Jesus praying with humility uh, and, and, and with worship, but because Jesus prays in three very specific ways. The first is he prays for himself. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Uh, and that's verses 1 through 5. Then in verses 6 through 19, we're going to see Jesus pray for his disciples. And then in verses 20 through 26, we're going to see Jesus pray really for the church, the church he established. And if you were here a few weeks ago, you saw how the church is Jesus' plan, not a man-made thing. But in the first five verses, we're going to see Jesus praying uh, that he would be glorified. Jesus setting the example for us on how to pray. Jesus prays for himself. Okay? You've probably heard it said in church that when you pray, like, don't be selfish. Don't pray for yourself. No, Jesus says it is 100% okay to pray for yourself. Uh, and I want to reiterate that and encourage that. Pray for yourself. It's not selfish. It's not self-centered. Pray for yourself. Because here's the thing. When we pray for ourselves, uh, it's like one person said, it's like tuning an instrument before you go to play. You have to give some focus to the actual instrument before you give the music to everyone else. You have to tune it up. So pray for yourself. Make sure your heart's in the right place when you approach the Lord in prayer. So pray for yourself. Get yourself right. Uh, You will notice, though, that Jesus praying for himself is the shortest part of the prayer. Okay? So everything in moderation, right? Pray for yourself, but don't become the focus of the prayer. Okay? Uh, So then the next part, we see Jesus praying for the disciples. Uh, And and, and what he talks about when he prays for the disciples, he prays that they, and we're going to enumerate this a whole lot more next week. We're going to look at this and expand on this a whole lot more uh, next week. But Jesus prays that the disciples would grow by the word of God, that they would be made stronger by the word of God, and that they would be uh, vessels that are to be used for honor and holiness because of the word of God. As followers of Christ, guys. We need to be so saturated in God's Word that it flows through us like we are a faucet that's broken and keeps putting out the Word of God. We need to be saturated in God's Word. I cannot say it enough. I say it every week, but it is a reality. When sin comes up in our life, we need to be saturated in God's Word so that we can say, Nah, I'm done doing that. When temptation comes, we can reject temptation the same way Jesus did. He set the example for us with Scripture. You will speak 
out of the abundance of your heart. Okay? Uh, and you will hunger for what you eat. So if you're not eating God's word, if you're not soaking up God's word, you're not going to hunger for it. So when times come, things are going to be rough. You need to be saturated in God's word. I can't remember if it was here a few months ago or if it was with the youth group at Hillside that we talked about the sponge and a sponge. Do you guys remember talking about a sponge here? Like a, a dry, crusty sponge is not good for anything except hockey, right? Because uh, you can use it as a puck. Yeah, okay. Uh, but uh, it's not its purpose. Yeah, sorry, Aaron. I know that was a bad reference. I'm so sorry. But a sponge needs to be full of water so when you use it, it's useful and it cleans things out. And so we need to be people who are saturated in God's word. And, and, and that, that phrase, vessel of honor, is something that Paul enumerates uh, and, and really unpacks in Thessalonians. Uh, in, in First Thessalonians, he's talking about how we as followers of Christ uh, we are to be vessels, vessels used for honor. But he says there's two different kind of vessels that we can be. One is a golden vessel, uh, and the other is a vessel of stone. Okay. Um, now, in today's modern architecture and, and, and cool interior design, stone looks pretty cool, right? And, and it has throughout the ages. Some good, some good stone looks good, and not everyone likes the look of shiny gold in our modern interior and whatnot. But back in the Roman times, uh, gold and gold vessels uh, were the things that you used as the centerpiece. When people came over, you brought the gold vessels out and you set them up, and they were a centerpiece that was to be shown off for all the people to see. But the stone vessel, the only stone vessels we have archaeologically in houses at this time were the toilets. So Paul says you can either be the vessel that is shown for all to see, or you can be the a little poop shoe. You can be the toilet that people tuck in the back of the house that they don't want anyone to see. Uh, and, and, and we can be one of these two things for the Lord. Because here's the thing. Jesus says, don't put yourself out there. Don't make yourself the big and uh, uh, the main part of everything. But here's the thing. When you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and you do the things that, that, that he's called... He's going to propel you into new places. He's going to put you into new heights. He's going to give you new opportunities. When you're humble, God exalts those who are humble, but he humbles those who are proud. And so if you're someone who wants to be in front of everyone, and, and, and you're showing the way you pray, you're showing the way you worship, and you're doing things with the wrong heart because you're just trying to get attention on yourself, Jesus is going to use you uh, as that vessel that you tuck in the back of the room and you don't want anyone to see because it's kind of stinky. We don't want to be stinky to the Lord. We pray tonight during worship that we would be a sweet-smelling aroma. I don't know about you, but a stinky first-century toilet probably wasn't a sweet-smelling aroma. <laughs> but Jesus wants to use us as gold vessels that he puts out. So when the world comes and the world says, all right, here's what you got, he says, check out my followers. Check out these people whose heart are humble, who are people of prayer, and who are willing to serve. Look what they're going to do for me. And, and, and so that's how God wants to use us. And then lastly, and we're going to talk more about that next week, uh, but, but what Jesus does is he starts in the, with these concentric circles. He starts with the center with himself, then he goes out to his disciples, and then he goes out to all his believers, the world, and, and, and his church. And, and we're going to talk about that in two weeks. But uh, our church is a part of this collaboration of churches here in the North Clackamas area. Uh, it's called All One, a little plug for All One. We have... Uh, a campaign that we've been doing for the last few weeks. It's the Love Now campaign, and we have a work day. Uh, uh, we, we have a dinner we're doing for the community on Friday. We have a work day all day Saturday, and then we have a barbecue on Sunday where we're loving our community as these churches are coming together individually to help out their own 
specific communities. And then in September, we have 13 churches coming together to do church together on one Sunday in Alder Creek's football stadium. It's going to be really, really, really cool. But that's exactly what Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed in John 17, uh, verse 20, that we, the church, would be one so that the world may know. Jesus prayed that the church would be one, that we wouldn't be divided by denominations and theological differences. Jesus says, no, be one so that the world may know who I am and who sent me. And, and so that was Jesus' prayer. Uh, here's the cool thing. Have any of you guys ever been encouraged when someone says, hey, I've been praying for you? Yeah. When you've gone through a hard time or, or when you've even gone through a good time, when someone says, hey, man, I've been praying for you, we get encouraged. Here's the reality, guys. Jesus prayed for you. Jesus prayed for each and every single one of you. So whenever you're feeling discouraged, know that Jesus prayed for you. But it doesn't just stop there. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 34 tells us that Jesus is still praying for you. So when you're going down, when you're going through a hard time, Jesus is up there praying harder than any of your friends are. And he's praying specifically for you. And so I just want to encourage you guys with that. So the first thing is the significance of the prayer. The second is the scope of the prayer. The third thing is we're going to take a look at the start of this prayer. And, and, and what Jesus does, and I want you to circle this phrase, if you will, in your Bible. Remember I gave that plug for taking notes and underlining and writing things in your Bible, using colors and coding and whatever you want to do? Circle this phrase in your Bible. And it says this in verse 1. It says, Father, the hour has come. The hour has come. Jesus had been saying throughout the Gospel of John, we see many times, double-digit times, up to this point, Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. The hour is not yet here. My hour is not upon us. The hour has not yet come. And now we see the buildup of the previous 16 chapters. Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. You see, the reason why Jesus was saying... The hour has not yet come was because people were pushing for this premature glorification of Messiah. They wanted this guy, Jesus, Messiah, to be someone who was going to take over the Roman Empire. They thought he was going to be someone who was going to overthrow the corruptness in the government. And so they were trying to elevate him. At one point, they were trying to say, Jesus, be king. Be king of us. And, and Jesus was like, no, no, my hour has not yet come. But at this point, Jesus is going to talk about the hour that is coming. And the hour that is coming, guys, and we're going to come to a close here in the next few moments with this, but, but Jesus is going to start talking about the cross. He's told the disciples that he's leaving. He says, I'm going with you. It's better off that I go so that I can send the helper, but I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you. And, and, and John tells us that the disciples, uh, after the things that were to take place, took place, then they remembered what Jesus said, and they knew he was talking about his death and resurrection. But at this point, they have no clue what Jesus is talking about. And he's been telling them, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And they're just not getting it. But at this point, they realize, wait, Jesus, you're leaving? Wait, you're going to die? One of us is going to betray you? What's going on? And now all their ears, all their eyes are on Jesus. And Jesus is going to show his heart and what his plan is for uh, humanity and for our eternal destiny and jesus is going to point to the cross in his plan and his purpose when he's saying father glorify your son and uh what jesus does here uh at, at the start of this prayer is he does two things one thing in, in in jesus praying for himself he prays that the father be glorified that in all things god be glorified and, and, and that the father would be glorified through the son and that's the same thing he prays for us that the father would be glorified through us 
that as we live our lives, what we do with our lives should be pointing back to God, should be bringing honor to God, should be bringing glory to God. The, the very actions you do in your life are to bring glory unto the Father. And the second thing that Jesus does with this prayer is he gives his plan for eternal life for mankind. When he says these things, he says, as you have given me authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus will take whatever, and he makes it good. He brings beauty from ashes. He turns what we have as junk into beauty for him. And here's the thing, as vessels, we might be currently that stone pot in the back of the room, but Jesus wants to transform you into gold. It just takes a little bit of trials. It takes maybe a little bit of tribulation. It might just take you saying, God, I'm willing to be broken. Use me. Use me. And, and, and whatever circumstance or situation that is in your life, uh, we are to rejoice when those things happen. Remember what Jesus said at the beginning of chapter 14 of John. He said, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Guys, if we put our faith and if we follow, we trust Jesus with everything we have. And I'm looking around the room and I know all of you. It's the first time all summer I've known everyone in the room. That's awesome. And, 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 and I think I know each and every single one of you guys and you've made the decision to follow Jesus. And I commend all of you on that because that is amazing and it's super, super cool. But be reminded of this. Be reminded that when things go bad, believe in Jesus and his plan for salvation. Jesus doesn't want to just come and make things better for you here. Jesus doesn't want to come and make your circumstance great so that you can be happy now. No, Jesus, he does do those things. But he did so much more and he provided a hope for us. And that hope is eternal life with him. He went to prepare a place for us. He sent his Holy Spirit to come and to build us up as we live our lives to bring honor and glory to the Father. Here's the thing. And, and, and I want to close with this. And I want to just remind each and every single one of us about this. Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus says, hey, you need to know me people of the world. You need to know me so that you can know the Father. John 14, 6, we just went over two weeks ago. It is Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Paul tells us in Romans that if we believe in our heart uh, that God raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, we're saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is saved in the state of mankind as we're all sinners. We all need Jesus. And so you have friends, you have family members, maybe co-workers or classmates, who need Jesus, and Jesus' prayer is that they could have eternal life. There's eternity for all people, but there's eternal life and eternal death. And that eternal death is torment in a very real hell. It's not just, as some would teach, annihilation, where, hey, if you didn't give your heart to Jesus, you die, you're gone. No, it's eternal torment, eternal separation from God. Uh, but Jesus prays that men would have eternal life. And how do they have eternal life? By believing in the one true God and by believing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so I just want to encourage you guys that no matter what circumstance you're going through in life, no matter what situation uh, you may be facing, Jesus can turn anything around. Uh, he can make anything that the enemy has used to bring you down. He can take anything that you've just messed up on your own because Sometimes we like to write things off like, yeah, man, the enemy just really got me. But sometimes we just blow it. We're just, we really are dumb. 
There's a reason why, there's a reason why Jesus refers to us as sheep. Sheep are the dumbest animals on the planet. I mean, you think lemmings are bad jumping off of cliffs after one another? No, sheep are even worse. Sheep are even worse because they like leave the safety of people and go fall off cliffs on their own. At least if a lemming falls off with his buddies, you know? Like, sheep are idiots. They are idiots. Uh, and, and Jesus says, you are all sheep, uh, but I am your good shepherd. Sometimes we just mess it up, but Jesus, he can turn no matter what, from the worst of the worst to the smallest. Just I took an extra piece of gummy worms when I wasn't supposed to when I was five years old. Jesus can turn that. Amen, Trevor. Uh, <laughs> I took two gummy worms, you can tell. Uh, and, and, and like the thing is, the thing is, uh, Jesus takes everything and turns it around. When we are ruined, Jesus makes it glorious. When we are full of ashes, Jesus brings beauty. Jesus brings new life where there is death. And one of the greatest tools we have in all of this is to pray. Mm-hmm. And Jesus set the example to pray. Mm-hmm. He prescribed uh, this, this perfect way to pray. And he says, hey, pray, pray, pray. I prayed, you pray. Have communication with me, but go a step further. Have relationship with me and see what we can do together. I think that's why I'm going to close with this. You'll notice one thing about many pastors. Uh, they always say, I'm going to close with this. I'm going to close with this. After about eight closing statements, they get about halfway through their sermon. And then you have a few more closing statements. But this is the last closing statement of the night because it's the last thing Jesus said on the earth. I think that's a good thing to close with, you know. But I think it's important that we realize when Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to preserve the things which I have commanded you. Uh, We always talk about that as the Great Commission. And so often we leave out the last part. He says, and lo, I'm with you always. Jesus is right there. The Holy Spirit is inside you. And the Father is in heaven cheering us on. And he says, I am with you. And all authority has been given to me. Go. Go. Let's see what we can do. Not on our own, but with the Lord in the driver's seat with us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much. Uh, God, that you sent your son, uh, God, to, to, to provide a way of escape from our sin, from this darkness. Uh, God, we were once children of wrath, but now we are called into the glorious light and we've been adopted uh, as sons and daughters of you. God, we thank you that Jesus, while he was here, he gave us many examples. He taught us how to fast. He taught us how to give. He taught us how to look at the poor and and care for them. He taught us how to look at authority and leaders. But God, a really, really important thing that that, that you taught us was you taught us how to pray and you gave us an example of how to pray. God, may we be people who pray. May we be people who are in our word. May we be people uh, who are in fellowship. Uh, But God, may we be people who have relationship and communication, uh, God, with you. Uh, God, when things get rough, we don't turn to the things of this world, but we turn to you. God, when things are great, we don't forget about you, but we rejoice and thank you and still have communication in relationship with you. Uh, God, because you you have provided so much for us. Uh, God, we have a hope. We have a future. We have love. We have grace and mercy. Uh, God, we can have peace in this world. We can have joy when things get crazy. Uh, God, and we can have a direct communication with you through our eternal high priest, Jesus. We don't have to do it through the bulls and the the rams and their blood and the prayers of an earthly high priest, but God, we have a heavenly and spiritual high priest. And we can boldly, boldly, not timidly, but boldly approach the throne of God mm-hmm. through Jesus. God, may we be people who do not um, who do not take that for granted or, or, or just uh, do it 
every once in a while on occasion, but God, that we would be people like you who often, who often went away and prayed. As First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says, uh, God, may we be people who pray without ceasing. So God, we thank you and we praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.